Hello, listeners. Beyond the Mask, in conjunction with NBC RNA, is pleased to announce that listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how to submit them, go to our website. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. All right, Sharon, here we are again. Our favorite place to be in the studio. studio. Yeah. You know, we were away for so long. I think we just really appreciate the studio now. Yeah, we do. And you hated my internet connection. Oh, geez. (laughs) Don't get me started on that one. So, uh, you know, of all the things that Brett Pierce can do, I can't imagine he couldn't get you a faster internet connection. You would think so. Jeez. Rocket boy. I know, right? (laughs) Well, we've got another amazing guest on tonight and somebody who uh, I look up to all the stuff that she's done and overcome in her life and proud to say that Dr. Cheryl Shosky is on with us tonight. Welcome, Cheryl. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and, and an honor. I've listened to many of your podcasts and have really enjoyed many of the topics that you've covered. So it's good to be here. Well, we're glad you're here. How long have I known you, Cheryl? Uh, since mm. 2008, yeah, seven, Some, a long time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've known I you through so. a few I degrees. Think, I think we're coming up on that 15 year mark around the corner. <laughs> uh, well, you know, Cheryl, you and I have been talking about you know your path for a while, and I just felt like this would be a, an amazing podcast for our listeners to hear you know what you're doing and and how you've kind of gotten to where you are currently and where you're going and today we're going to talk about you know beginning your path to crna non-surgical pain management and i know you're going to do wonderful things with this but uh, you know i just really felt like it would be something for our listeners out there who maybe have an interest in this to kind of give them a path to run on so why don't you tell us a little bit about the topic and why you think it's important oh okay Well, thank you. I think right now, as we're all aware, and many of the lectures that we go to, and of course, every state is facing the opioid crisis. And what we found out over this last year is that, unfortunately, the opioid crisis has increased um, dramatically when we are seeing a somewhat decline. It increased during COVID-19. 
And because of that, there were people at home. There were people that were going through hardships and difficult times. And because of that, um, maybe were more aware of their chronic pain situations. Maybe they weren't able to obtain their treatments that were multimodal, that were outside of opioids or couldn't get their other treatments, whether they were psychological, whether they were medication outside of opioids. And so we saw an increase. And what we also know is that we've always heard the term, or maybe some of you haven't, the silver tsunami. Well, I take exception to that because I am in the last year of the baby boomers and I don't have silver hair yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the baby boomers. And so 1964 is the last year of the baby boomers, which is me. And what we're finding is they are the largest demographic ever in the history of the United States. And they are causing a significant demand on healthcare services and a demand that we in healthcare have been unable to meet due to shortage of staffing, due to the cost of healthcare in the US. Um, we spend more money per patient in the United States than any other country in the world, and we don't see increases in quality or better outcomes. So that being said, we know we have this large demographic, and what do they need? Total joints. Yes. Why? because they have arthritis, because they have had neuropathies due to diabetes, because of obesity. And so this large demographic now is stepping up to chronic pain and the path to chronic pain. And what we have looked at in the past, a couple of years back, Dr. Schoenboom was part of the um, healthcare pain management coalition. It was the best practices interagency task force. And it was convened by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services in conjunction with the U.S. Department of Defense and the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. And thank God one of our own was on that panel. And of this 29-member task force, he was the only CRNA mm -hmm. that was representing. Mm -hmm. And thank God he did, because I think it's opened some doors for us as a profession to start looking at how we can be a part of not just battling opioid use in the acute pain setting, but how we can be more of a revenue source and an answer to opioids and chronic pain for all of our patients. So that excited me. I started looking at markets and it drove me down the path of applying to TCU Advanced Pain Management Fellowship. And that's well, the And story. you're done, right? Yeah. You're done now. I'm done. Yay. Yes. I finished July 31st yes. and um, after 18 months and then you are able to sit for the non-surgical pain management certification exam that is given twice a year by the NBCRNA. And I sat for that December 7th and I got my positive result on the 22nd. So Yay. nice. Well, let's it was back a, up for just a minute, Cheryl, because you just <laughs> did not wake up one day and say, hey, I think I want to be in non-surgical pain management. And I've watched your career path. So why don't you share that and tell us about some of the things that you've done in South Carolina, who you work for, and how this all came to be. Okay. Well, I think um, a lot of this started in, I think, the, one of the, again, conferences, uh, being part of SCANA and South Carolina Association of Nurse Anesthetists over the last decade. 
and having the luxury of going to the AANA conferences, such as the leadership conferences and mid-year assembly, and hearing what's going on legislatively, what's going on with healthcare, being part of healthcare. And when Obamacare came to fruition in 2010 in the Affordable Care Act, you may or may not have liked it, but what it did make us all look at is the cost of healthcare much more critically. And I started looking at markets and I started looking at where was I going to go in 10 years with my career? What was I going to do in retirement? What was I going to want to do when I wanted to slow down a little? Maybe I wanted to not take call at 3 a.m. on a Saturday. What was I going to do? How was I going to develop a path that when I was a little, t- a little bit older, wanted to slow down some, what made sense to me? Well, the DNAP and the DNP and the PhD became the new path for our profession. For me, after being a CRNA for over 22 years, I thought, well, I got to keep up. Um, I need to make myself useful. I don't want to become unuseful. I don't want to become unusable. Not that a CRNA that doesn't have those are certainly all by all means not unuseful. However, I do felt that I, I enjoyed teaching students. For me to continue teaching students, I was going to have to be at least at the same level as my students. And if they were all going to be doctor prepared, I wanted to be part of that initiative. So in that, while I was at Texas Wesleyan for that, I took the business track and the education track, and I thought I loved them both. But the business track started letting me look at entrepreneurship and thinking about that, thinking about how to Cheryl Shusky business owner. How was I going to look at that? And and what were markets telling me that I could go to do those sorts of things? And I went to another conference and Jackie Rawls was our one of our keynote speakers. And it was a SCANA state conference. And she spoke to us about how she did SCANA years ago to pain management and the challenges that she faced. And I was intrigued. I was fascinated. We didn't have anything like that in South Carolina. We didn't have not one CRNA performing chronic pain management. I didn't even know there was such a thing. So I looked more and more into it, started looking at the Jack Neary courses that had been around forever. And then lo and behold, in 2014, a fellowship was created and a non-surgical pain management certification became an opportunity. Also at another conference, Juan Quintana talked about looking at how we were going to be in the future, having to get the seat at the table. But I thought, well, that's great. If I get the seat at the table, oh, well, what am I bringing to the table? I better bring some tools in my tool belt, whether they're business, whether they're marketing, whether they're revenue-based opportunities or ideas, or it's a skill set that nobody else has that can be a revenue source instead of a cost center for the hospital. So I guess I think I'm an entrepreneurial, I guess, person. And I think business-wise, what I wanted to do with my future and how I wanted my future to look. So that was the path. That's how I stumbled into this area, which is right now, if you look on the NBCRNA website, of the 57,000 CRNAs in this country, only 89 hold the non-surgical pain management certification. Wow. That's pretty amazing. That is, that is amazing. less than 0.15%. Wow. And that's being said, 
I guess there's opportunity there. There, there seems like a lot of opportunity. Well, Correct. something you said earlier, I just can't even imagine you slowing down. I know, right? Um, We've got two more degrees since yeah, then. Yeah, two more degrees and since another then. Another one on the way. Now we're, we're in, in, embarking on another entrepreneurial journey, which you're already an entrepreneur. It's interesting for me to listen to you say "slow down" when you're when you're in that <laughs> sentence, Cheryl. But so, what do you think is the the biggest barrier or challenge to CRNAs building, uh, you know, a pain management practice? Well, <laughs> as we are aware, our boards of nursings in this country don't understand. They're gaining ground, but I think our boards of nursing people will say, "Well, it's your anesthesiologist." But I do believe that some of our biggest barriers are boards of nursing who don't truly understand the skill sets that we can bring to the table. And I also believe our competition. I mean, this is a revenue source now. For the first time, this is one area outside of acute pain management and having a full tilt pain program at your facility for surgical procedures this is a separate entity. This is a separate clinic, and it is a revenue source. During my fellowship, we had to do a feasibility study as a template to present as one of our graduating projects. And doing the feasibility study for South Carolina, I, for the first time, if I built a rural hospital clinic, could be a revenue source instead of a cost center. And it has to be done correctly. Of course, it has to be done by the book and meeting all of the mandates that you need to meet. But I think the barriers are lack of education by CEOs on what CRNAs can do, lack of understanding about chronic pain. There is a terrible mindset that when they hear chronic pain, the first thing that they go to is addiction and opioids and abuse and CMS or, you know, the government coming down on you legally, you know, the FDA coming and raiding your facility because somebody wrote too many prescriptions. Because there's been a real, a very real abuse problem in this country, as we all saw, you know, when we looked at the opioid crisis and the Purdue family and what happened there, it has a stigma associated with it. And it's not an easy path to take. Being in chronic pain management is a multimodal and it causes challenges. It's challenges for the practitioner, it's challenges for those involved in it. You have to have a special certain entity to to want to do this because it can't be just about the money. So I think the barriers will be educating people, allowing, opening doors and training and telling our staff, our boards of nursing, and our competitors that we are capable. And I think the fellowships and the non-surgical pain management certifications are gonna go a long way in allowing insurance companies to begin to pay for those. So that is another barrier is the max, which we all know is um, mm -hmm. the ability to get paid. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. So you became a 1099 contractor. Tell us a little bit about that and what has that meant for you? Okay. So back in 2017, I had been in an ACT model for most of my full-time career. And on the side in Ohio, I had always done something on the side for revenue reasons for my own family. 
but I enjoyed and was seeking the ability to go back to full practice authority to the best of my ability, which I did not have in the current environment that I was in at a large teaching facility at a bigger city. So I knew in order to get those things that I was going to have to branch out and search for those opportunities. And my current company that I subcontract under allows me those opportunities. And the beauty of that is having been to rural facilities where I'm the only anesthesia provider and seeing what needs to be done and what has to be done. And when they say access to care, you see the true poor access to care that these rural facilities have that have only two ORs and one endo suite and one CRNA, maybe one surgeon, maybe an orthopedic surgeon that comes in once a week. So that opened my eyes to the opportunities that are out there, again, from a CRNA business standpoint and what can be done. Cheryl, is there a personal reason that you chose the pain specialty, say, over cardiac or pediatrics or, or transplant? There is. I think when you choose a specialty, which is something we may consider in our profession overall and in your future where we have DNPs that have a specialty fellowship at the end, I chose chronic pain because my own husband was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis back at age 50, and we are now 57. And at that time, I started to see what he had to go through to be comfortable And of course, his mindset was, I'm never taking an opioid. I never want to take one. (laughs) So we started looking into options. Well, for him to get a joint injection or for him to find other options, he was waiting six to eight months for an appointment. And if he couldn't get an appointment or it got canceled or he was sitting around in pain. And so what would be the average person's next step if they're suffering every day? What would be their next step? Opioids Mm -hmm. or other curricular activities to keep themselves sustainable or ability to go to work or just function and have a quality of life. So we can't judge these people that end up on the opioid path. But what we can provide them is the other alternatives that we don't look to or we negate because it's not, it's Eastern medicine and it's not Western medicine, so to speak. So, so I think that part of it was personal, watching your own loved one. As you know, Sharon, you've, you know, have a daughter that's diabetic. You've watched those struggles. It brings a passion out in you that, and a drive that uh, maybe drives your professional path as well. Exactly. So tell me where you did your fellowship, I guess, for your non-surgical pain management. And did that have any impact on you going forward? Sure. Okay. So there are two, there's actually three accredited fellowships in pain. Um, Middle Tennessee has an acute and I think they're moving to a possible advanced pain fellowship. But right now there's only two that have been in accredited, and they are Texas Christian University and University of Southern Florida. And when I looked at both programs, I chose the Texas Christian University one because it had been around the longest, and it had been accredited the longest, and it had a clinical component at the time. Now USF has a clinical component, but when I was entering, USF had not quite had a clinical component that was six weeks at a pain clinic where you actually 
practice pain. So that was the trigger for me that allowed me to choose TCU. So part of what you have to do to get into one of these fellowships is you have to take three courses and there are specific ones out of Texas. And there's another one where you can take these leading up chronic pain um, workshops that allow you to be ready for your first day in class for both fellowships. And those are mandated of what you have to do to get on. You have to have two years of nurse anesthesia clinical experience. By the time of your non-surgical pain management application, you have to actively be act, you know, in practice in nurse anesthesia. Um, and evidence of completion of education activity in the last uh, immediate four years um, that would be similar to what our CEs are mm-hmm. that we currently have to have for your own you know, CRNA licensure. Unrestricted licensure, no history of any abuse situations on file with any state association or state board of nursing. Three letters of support from uh, professional colleagues who have observed you know, your techniques, and then you can apply. And they only take 15 per year. And uh, it's difficult. (laughs) Well, it's very rigorous to even get into it. But, you know, I think that we've got to function at a higher level than our medical colleagues. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I like the fact that what we're starting to see is that insurance companies, if you have these fellowships and certification, are more apt to break the chain of just because you're CRNA not reimbursing you. And I think that's the way of the future as well. So that's why I think the fellowship is, is important. Although there are many pain practitioners out there who do not have a fellowship and are not surgical, non-surgical pain management certified. They've just been doing it for very, very long Mm -hmm. and have the skill set above and beyond me. Um, I haven't practiced in pain management full tilt. So those people, they're great practitioners. So when I say 89 of 57,000, there are more CRNAs out there practicing in pain. They just don't hold the non-surgical pain management certification. So are there mentors out there for folks that, you know, might be interested in this? I mean, you know, you you would be one, obviously, but are there other avenues for them to get information and maybe have someone help them with this process? Yes, there are. And more and more every year, past CRNAs who have, any of the CRNAs that have taken a fellowship and passed when our non-surgical pain management, I I would, and I may, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. But I think many of them, if you reached out to them, and you can go onto the non the NBCRNA website, and you can see the names listed every year of the CRNAs that are non-surgical pain management certified. I highly recommend reaching out to any of them. I know that when I went to New Hampshire to do my clinicals up in New Hampshire, in Berlin, New Hampshire, Frank B., and I don't mind, and I hope he doesn't mind my saying, he called me. He said, you're in New Hampshire? And I said, yes. He goes, you are two miles up the road from our clinic. Why don't you stop in? And he saw that on Facebook. He saw me being excited about going to New Hampshire for my fellowship. And he called me. He texted me and instant messaged me on Facebook. And those are the kind of things. It's a very tight-knit group of folks. And we have our own Facebook page. And you learn a lot from the gurus in the business. And 
it's just really a really tight group of uh, great folks. And I think they're willing to give back. I know Kyle Neville's finished at USF and he was my mentor and my clinical educator up in that clinic in New Hampshire. And he has now opened it up to USF clinical students there as well. So I think that we're growing in a good way. So what are some of the traits that are important for a CRNA to have for a full service pain management clinic to be successful, do you think, Cheryl? Well, yeah, I think that's a, that's a very good question. I think many people believe that as CRNAs, we know how to do acute pain management blocks for shoulder surgery and for knee surgery. And we put the needle in and we get a certain instant satisfaction that immediately the patient is numb and we know they're going to be carried over to surgery and we're going to, we did a great thing. However, as I referenced before about that task force, what they came to state is, is that the multimodal entity of this is the best way to get the quality of life back to the patient. It's not about what the, and the term being called a needle jockey is not what we're looking for, is not the best approach. Going in, and yes, I gave 17 epidural steroid injections today, and boy, I made a lot of money. However, your patient went home, and when you come up for your follow-up visit, who's dealing with the mental portion of chronic pain, the impact on their life of chronic pain, the impact on their family relationships from chronic pain. There is a certain large portion of psychological and socioeconomic impacts of opioid that you're going to have to be kind of a social worker in some settings. You're going to have to sit there and listen to your patient cry you may have to take time out. Your day will be long. You will get phone calls because now this is going to be your own practice and you're going to be on call for your own practice, your own self. It's not, someone's not going to take over from you at three o'clock. Someone's not going to take over from you at seven o'clock. If your patient calls you and you're the only one for your pain business, and they're having a breakdown, either you have people you've hired, maybe a social worker or a psychologist that you can refer them to if you have a full service group. But if you don't, if you're just starting out, you need those tools, like I said before, in your tool belt to be able to take the emotional aspects of chronic pain patients because they are a unique breed and they are of unique and specific needs. Well, chronic pain would make you crazy. (laughs) I mean, honestly. Well, exactly. And that's the thing. When you say that, chronic pain will make you crazy. So what do most people's perceptions of the chronic pain patients start with? Right? Yeah. But I mean, I'd be crazy if I hurt all the time. You mean you're not? Well, you make me hurt, Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) And they don't take, there's no pills for that. That's it. I've been in here with them for four hours. (laughs) It's fun. Four hours today. Uh, I need something. (laughs) Right. And what we know is there's certain definitions of, you know, there's chronic pain. And what we know is the cost of chronic pain, the significant cost is what we know is that, you know, there's 15 million patients in the U.S. that have chronic daily pain. 50 million. Sure. That's a big number. And um, I'm not shocked. I'm, I would suspect it's more than that. I mean, that's what, well, like it's 50 million have chronic pain, but 19.6 million adults experience high impact chronic pain that interferes with daily life, 
work activities. So you look at the drain right there. 560 billion to 635 billion is what's impacted because of chronic pain in this country. Well, you got Jeremy's attention, the numbers guy. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, there's there and there's where Cheryl's business marketing mindset of the opportunity is here yeah. and CRNAs need to jump on this. Yeah. We as a profession, a hundred of us are not enough. No. 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 That's less than two per state. So what we can we do more. to change that, Cheryl? I think we need to start in our CRNA programs, our SRNA programs. We need a whole track on chronic pain. We need a whole, I think for every SRNA program, they need a clinical site. They need a chronic pain clinical site. When I was up in New Hampshire, Julie Erickson, who was my other clinical educator, she said when she was a student up there in New Hampshire, that is an opt-out state. They have a lot more independent chronic sure. pain clinics and practices. They did in her program have, and that's how she chose. She was going to do chronic pain. She knew before she graduated, she was going to go straight into chronic pain. And she did. Wow. One of my fellowship classmates, he's a young man. He's 28. He went to CRNA school to be a chronic pain CRNA. He's in Kansas right now. He graduated, great guy. And he was putting all of us to shame in the courses that we took with the cadavers. He just was fantastic. But well, this was his goal. I think that it's just, I don't know, this is kind of a new thing, it seems like, based on what you're saying, even within the medical community. I mean, it used to be you just yeah. gave them a prescription. Them a yeah. Yeah. And look where that's got us. And so right. we've had to back up and say, okay, and we're living longer and right. we're not healthy. And 67% of people are obese. And some of these joints were just never intended to hold up 400 pound people. Yeah. Correct. And I mean, we're still not addressing deeper issues than just the chronic pain right um, so I, I think we could just keep drilling deeper and deeper into this and and mm -hmm. to me chronic pain management somewhat is still in some cases a band-aid for a deeper problem but that's a whole a whole nother episode <laughs> right <laughs> and it is it is i mean it was a whole you know several in this fellowship you have a whole semester that devotes just to the psychological impact and ways to decrease stress of chronic pain and how you would help your patients through mindfulness and deep breathing and massage therapy and music therapy and all these other things as a multi in, in addition to your injections on top of your injections the physical therapy has to go with that it must go with that or you cannot get reimbursement uh, so. let me ask you a question cheryl do you think that that is something that goes along with the nursing piece as a backbone because i work in pain a pain clinic now i'm not I just give some sedation. I love the physician I work with. He's a uh, he's flight surgeon that was in the military. Love, love, love him. And I don't hear them discussing those kinds of things. Now, they might on the clinic side, but I don't hear the patients talking about it. Hmm. But I just wonder if part of that, I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's 
a holistic approach to pain. I think that's very important. We just did an interview yesterday with Jacob Hacker, a Yale political scientist for our documentary that we're working on. And he said something that I thought was so profound. He said that nursing understands the diversity of the human experience. Exactly. And, exactly. And I, from what I hear you saying, that's exactly what you're doing in your training. And I would think that that's probably not the same in the medical community. I could be wrong. Could be wrong. Right. Well, no, I mean, it's a multidisciplinary approach to, uh, you know, hit all facets of of the pain and where it derived from. And that includes things such as understanding if this child or this person had some traumatic experience as a child that has manifested as chronic pain mm-hmm. now. Even something as simple as that, child abuse. Uh, there's a wonderful book by Dr. Vanderkolk. If you want to read it, it is The Body Remembers, and it's a fantastic oh, I text. That. Fantastic. Oh. It was one of our books for art, and I just love it because it really speaks to how your past experiences can impact sure. that oh. you have chronic pain now and why, yeah. and, the, and the foundation of the why. Well, that's why whenever Jeremy asked you, was there a personal reason, I was kind of curious to your answer because I know that you were involved in a very, very bad accident. And how long was your recovery time, Cheryl? It was a year. And um, yes, (laughs) a back fracture and a shoulder complete dislocation and rebuilding. Yes. And remembering that time, it was, like you said, it was a dark time and you, you know, uh, most CRNAs are type A, we're going to get up and go regardless. We're going to get up and go. We're going to get up and go. And everybody's pain experience is different. And every medication that you take, you might take a medication that would work great for your pain and I would take it and wouldn't work for me at all. And I'm not mm-hmm. talking opioids. I'm mm-hmm. talking something as simple as Lyrica or gabapentin, mm-hmm. which yeah. we prescribe right now for acute pain management. That's kind of the cocktail that we give ahead of time for total joint. Well, mm-hmm. same thing. You know, my pain is not your pain and your pain because it's arthritis is not going to be somebody else's arthritic pain. Everybody has different ways and chemistries and transmitters and acidic problems with their transmission of their neuropathways that we're just now beginning to understand the alleles, the changes, all of the things that we have on our DNA helps us manage or or not, not, <laughs> not manage our pain. And we're going to, we're going to have better pharmacogenomics later that treat pain. And I'll be able to draw your blood and, be able to say for you, we're going to give this, this, and this because we know it will work for Sharon Pierce. However, I won't give that to the next patient because based on their chemistries, we know that's not going to work. So we're coming a long way and we're coming a long way in chronic pain. I only see if CRNAs could go down that path with 57,000 of us, we can make a big dent mm-hmm. in a lot of it. Well, do you have any concluding thoughts that you'd like to share with us as we wind this up, Cheryl? I do. I think now um, when there's a lot of talk and banter about our competitions, such as AAs and anesthesiologists being now we are competitors, 
I think we have to set ourselves apart from them. And we always talk, like I said at the beginning of this, about the seat at the table. Once you get that seat at the table, you've got to have the tools to keep that seat. That means you have to show your value. You have to show how you can be a revenue source for your employer and your contractor. You've got to think like a business owner and you have to understand how to be a change agent into the next decade, whether it's the Affordable Care Act, whether it is healthcare for all, whatever it might be, we're going to have to be the change agent. Your each individual is going to have to be the change agent and think like a business person so you can get to the table and keep your seat at the table. And that would be my biggest thought process there. I like that. I know like you do. <laughs> and I think that is so true, Cheryl. I mean, there's not every CRNA is a, a risk taker to the extent that you are or, you know, to even wanting to be self-employed. But I think the ones that do, this is really good information and you're a really good role model for that, Cheryl. So we want to thank you today for being on the show with us and enlightening our audience about, you know, what you've been through and the path you're on and hopefully uh, being a mentor for them. Well, thank you. And if and I am more than able at any time. I'm on Facebook and most people know and certainly my information is out there circulating. So and I will anybody's more than welcome to call me, email me, text me, Facebook message me and we can chat some more about, you know, opportunities and how to build that opportunity if this is if this is some kind of path that you'd like to see your career head in. Yep. Good information. Sharon? I believe she said it all. <laughs> it's, it's a wrap. That's right. Well, thank you. And it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed my time here today. I look yeah. forward to the rest of your podcasts. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, uh, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mask with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. But only if it's positive. <laughs> I switched it up on you there. Did you like that? There's enough <laughs> negativity in the world. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and remember, the only way we grow is by you telling others and spreading the word about the show. Shane, you know we're in the top 50 medical podcasts. In the whole country. In the whole country. And we want to be... In the top 10. Though you're going to say number one. Number Nothing one, wrong with you know, being number one. Yeah, we want to be number one one day. So. It's a wrap. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs 
buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.